whatever. Is it hey, your first day? Hmm? Is it your first day? It is my first day. I'm nervous now. I get weirdly nervous about some of the stuff we do. <laughs> <laughs> Name of your sex tape. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> it. Hey, everybody, keep that in. I want to yeah. thank the following Patreon donors. Uh, Fairy's Tale, Siren Kai, Brian B., Dr. Gerd Hauser, Ethan Ferguson, Christopher Durback, Rulus, David Roberts, Duck Mew, M. Neville. <laughs> Whatever. My shame is their, their fucking pleasure, I guess. Hey guys, before we go to the next season, I thought I would give you some insight into some potential enemies that players will be facing in the ninth world. These are actually three short stories I had written for the website a while back that I've decided to record and enhance a bit with some special effects. If you like these short stories, I actually have a YouTube channel where I write similar stories set in various game worlds. Usually war games like Age of Sigmar or Warhammer 40k. The link is in the show notes. Anyway, I hope you enjoy and expect the story of the Travelers to continue next week. Hello fellow watchers. Before we continue the story of the Travelers, I thought it helpful to cast a brief light at some of the individuals that may cause them trouble down the line. Because, as we all know, the quality of a hero is best determined by the quality of the villains. For example, let's look into the violent outburst of a potential rival. They already left? Thorn yelled at the Celestial Wanderer, quickly standing up from his chair and slamming his hands on the wooden table, his pale, almost pure white face turning blood red as his rage pushed him towards violence, his eyes looking at the dark-skinned woman across the table with an accusatory stare. The nearby patrons of the Oubliette, used to more sedate conversations, took a second to gaze disappointedly at the mouthy young man before returning to their drinks. The Celestial Wanderer, Celeste to her friends, raised up an eyebrow. The look she gave the young assassin, sending a clear message that he should watch his next words carefully. Thorn paused, a new player in the assassin game. He had no urge to test the Celestial Wanderer, even if they were in the supposedly neutral ground of the Oubliette. Safe harbor can only go so far. Besides, Thorn thought to himself, her time would come soon enough. Slowly sitting down and taking a second to breathe a few calming breaths, he let his anger cool, returning his skin to its initial pale tone. Why didn't you stop them? he asked, his voice much calmer and controlled. Because I had no reason to. It wasn't my contract, she stated matter-of-factly, as if the answer was obvious. Like ten Vita cares about that, Thorn yelled again his skin returning to its blood-red color. His posture, however, was much less confrontational. You know how pissed off he is at the smiling jackal. Word around the community is the jackal has gone soft and is protecting the sails. Tan might forgive a little poaching if it means saving his reputation as a go-between. Celeste shook her head, the audacity of the newbie surprising her. Taking other people's contract is considered extremely rude, Thorn. Being polite is a policy you should follow if you're going to survive long in this business. 
Thorn laughed, leaning back in his chair and placing a hand on the table. The blood red on his skin turning into a much more vibrant purple. I have nothing to fear in that regard, Wanderer, he replied. A faint smile on his lips. Anyone I come across will gladly let me take their contracts. Otherwise, they'll have to face me. Oh? Celeste inquired. Her interest peaked despite the annoyance of Thorne's arrogance. Hard to back up such a fearsome reputation if you missed the sales you were trying to make, no? Not if I know exactly where they're going, Thorne gloated. Peerless Dominus is waiting for them in Fasten. If I leave now, I can catch them before it does. I'll be able to rush in there and stag them all nice and quick. Peerless too if he gets in my way. Thorne's faint smirk soon turned into a full-blown grin, his mouth showing a row of uneven, jagged teeth. Smiling Jackal I'll take out quickly, he continued. He's old but probably has a lot of tricks. Best not to take any chances. After that, it's just the sales and their buddies. Them, I'll take my time. I'll make such a mess anyone will think twice before messing with me. With a haughty wink at Celeste, the cocky young assassin stood up and walked out of the bar, his thoughts reveling in future kills to come. Celeste sat unmoving for a full minute, her mind in turmoil as her emotions and her professionalism clashed in a rather heated mental debate. Eventually, Celeste sighed, standing up and walking towards the exit. If she hurried, she could catch Thorne before he headed out of town, maybe convince him to go for another contract. Most likely, though, she will have to permanently make sure Thorne didn't become a problem, an idea which she really wasn't happy about. Thorne's attitude wasn't just the arrogance of youth. There was something else about him that worried her. Her years of experience culminating in an uneasy feeling that gripped her body and wouldn't let go. Shaking her head and wondering why she ever thought it was ever a good idea to befriend another assassin, Celeste muttered under her breath, You owe me one, Jack. Ah, Thorne, a young man with much potential, only marred by such arrogance. Of course, arrogance is only really a flaw if his boasts exaggerate his abilities, something Celeste may soon see for herself. Next, we dive into the data sphere as we watch one very tense tribunal, one between a lowly program and two beings who consider themselves <laughs> gods. To many residents of the Ninth World, the Data Sphere is simply an information treasure trove, a repository of knowledge from an untold number of races and civilizations. However, those who foolishly pry into its depth with such a belief find themselves corrected in the most permanent way possible. The Data Sphere is a world unto itself, an informational universe with its data banks in forgotten relics, dimensional data stores, and quantum entangled particles that make up the very fabric of the universe. Within it is the power to reshape worlds and alter destinies. And swimming in these digital oceans are beings who can easily use this power. Beings that can only be called gods. In a deep part of this digital world, a tribunal is being held. Atop two large podiums overlooking an empty floor float two gods. Shrouded in shadow, their very presence is impossible to decipher even by the most skilled nano. 
Enter! One shouts, its command reverberating over the digital landscape. In less than a millisecond, a considerable delay which only irritated the gods, the digital entity known as the Arbiter appeared. Its form is that of a pair of androgynous lips. I... It started. Its words already conciliatory and meek. You will not send a burst of apology, one of the gods shouted. You have failed, and the project has reached a point of possible erasure. You shall be wiped, and a new plan shall be enacted. No, please, the Arbiter pleaded. Give me another chance. I have several ideas to recapture the project. I can make this right. The beings stood in silence, spending an entire second to mull over their decision and increasing the dread the Arbiter was most likely feeling. Very well, one spoke. You shall be given time to recapture the project. However, failure will result in your deletion. Thank you, my lords. I will. The Arbiter started. With barely a thought, the Arbiter was whisked away from the deeper waters of the data sphere. the gods no longer caring for its presence. With the Arbiter gone, the gods began to talk amongst themselves. You know it will fail, correct? You have the same projections I do. I am aware, but it will be amusing to see what it tries. I have been bored these last trillion cycles. Nonetheless, we must plan a contingency. Can we simply replace the failed project? Negative. This project must be the one. It has the required quantum signature. However, your suggestion of a replacement does give me an idea. An instant later, the gods were viewing a man screaming obscenities and striking the walls of his glass prison. Is that... The first god said, surprised. Indeed. The other god said smugly. The last update before the project was cut off from us. Being a copy, it will not have the right signature. However, another possibility presents itself. The smug god stated, sending a data burst towards his fellow. Ah, I see. The surprise god said approvingly. That may work. However, its current form is a bit belligerent. Yes, we will have to perform a wipe. It won't be complete as we would risk damage, but it should be enough for our purposes. We will also increase its aggression and its more physical aspects, making it more inclined to choose a more violent profession. Afterwards, we shall place it in a position to intercept the project. Very well. Um, may I... The god stated, almost embarrassed. The other god performed the digital equivalent of rolling its eyes and assented. Thank you so much. It's been so long. With that, the thankful god turned its attention towards the being in the glass prison. One microsecond later, the copy of the being known as Cohen began to scream. In a small town in the Ninth World lies a large, jagged hole in the sky. The hole has existed for as long as anyone can remember, and most considered it part of the local charm. Paying no mind to it, and thankfully the glow seemed to keep the town safe from most predators. That was until a man fell from the hole and crashed into the town square. Landing on a rocky portion of the street, he laid unmoving for some time, until a few of the town militia began to cautiously walk towards it. Opening his eyes, he slowly rose up, his movements wobbly and uncertain. What are you, boy? One old man stated. His sword pointed at the strange being and his voice tinged with fear and curiosity. Looking up, the strange muscular man with quills coming out of his back smiled a predatory smile. I... 
Um, he growled as his muscles and flesh seemed to shift and grow. <laughs> Several days later, a traveling merchant was walking her usual route through the local country, expecting to find a town to sell some of her wares and a comfortable place to sleep for the night. What she found instead was death. The town's inhabitants slaughtered but what she could only guess was some form of wild beast. She turned around and began to walk back the way she came, not foolish enough to explore the ghost town by herself. If she had looked a little deeper, however, she would have seen the tracks of the murderous beast heading away from the town, its massive and heavy paw prints transforming into the much smaller, but somehow much more imposing, footprints of man. Healer's sentience, the ability to manipulate time and space in only three dimensions, and they consider themselves gods. I've been tempted to show them higher truths, but why spoil their fun? Let them be happy in their ignorance. Finally, we look at a religious leader with a holy mission, a purpose that, surprisingly, coincides with their own ambitions. Let's take a look at the High Mother. In the residential district of Navarine, High Mother Teppin sat at a desk in the Church of the Twin Gods. Although the room was much smaller than her usual accommodations at the city of Glavis, she did not let such a fact deter her from her work. Such indulgences led to a weakness of spirit that tainted all that it touched, a lesson she learned long ago. Like all pairs of twins in Glavis, she and her brother were taken by the church and raised to honor the gods chosen to serve the people of Glavis as the gods messengers in the ninth world. As she grew older, she realized that such service was more of an afterthought to the religious leadership, most of its members little more than a gang of thugs coated with a thin veneer of piety. While others would have become disillusioned at such corruption, Tepin swore she would not allow the same to happen to her. She dedicated herself to do whatever it took, both fair and foul, to raise through the ranks telling herself that once she obtained true power, she could change the church from within. It was a few years before she became High Mother that she discovered the truth. The great lie that had become the core of an entire religion. The twins they worshipped were little more than otherworldly explorers. Powerful and strange, yes, but no different than all the other wondrous things that made up the Ninth World. Such a harsh truth explained the corruption of the church. The leadership knew that all they believed was a lie, and behaved as such, acting out their wanton needs with abandon. Their subordinates followed suit, given free reign to act like spoiled children under the supervision of absentee parents. Where others would have had their spirits broken, Tepin simply saw an opportunity. She knew that the church could also be so much more. In the past 1300 years, the church had stayed mostly in Glavis content in administering the faith of a small city. It was a religion older than the Aeon priesthood, but had wasted away under the leadership of the simple-minded. She would change that. She would see the church turn into a force of good in the steadfast, capable of doing so much more than a group of out-of-touch Aeon priests more interested in studying artifacts and getting the maximum potential from its people. Of course, such plans could not be done in one lifetime. Even with the long life given to her by being born in Glavis, she would not live long enough to see her plans come to fruition. She had considered choosing a protege, 
but so far had found no one who could match her vision. Recent knowledge of an immortal in the city, however, has made her change her plans. If she could obtain the method this Noras the Eternal used to maintain her life, she could guarantee that she would be around as long as necessary to ensure the new path of the church. And, she had to admit, the title of High Mother Eternal did have a nice ring to it. As Teppin was deep in thought about her grand plans for the future, her servant Layden stepped in. A sniveling man with a penchant for a groveling, Teppin had saved him from an inconvenience of his own making a few years ago. He had been her loyal, if unimaginative, servant ever since. Hi, Mother, Layton said simply, waiting for the High Mother to acknowledge him. The tone of worry in his voice a bit more than the usual amount of fearful respect she was used to. Teppin long ago enforced within Layton the importance of her work. As such, any form of interruption would have to be only under the most dire of circumstances. She put down her pen and waited for him to speak. Instead, he simply handed her a piece of paper. Teppin read the report, then read it again. Looking for any inconsistencies that might show was fabricated, she found none. Looking up at Leighton, she tried to see any indication of deviousness on his part. Although she knew Leighton lacked the creativity for betrayal, she hadn't reached her current position by taking chances. His manner, however, seemed to show his usual subservient self. Is it verified? She asked, annoyed. I assure you, High Mother, I wouldn't have brought it to your attention without doing such a thing, he said, his tone fearful. It seems, despite the report from Stargazer Narian, who you so wisely issue removed, the assassination attempt ultimately failed. Teppin nodded, already go over possible plans of action, before Leighton derailed her thoughts. So, will we try again? He said hopefully, his eyes alight with glee. Although he had no head for planning, he did at least love the idea of plotting. His part as her messenger to the darker and more violent parts of the faith make him feel, at least vicariously through Teppin, like a cunning mastermind. In the city? Are you mad? Teppin said angrily, annoyed at her servant's lack of sense. They are under the eyes of the queen. She doesn't maintain her power in that nest of noble vipers by being stupid. Any hint of such a move on our part and we will be destroyed in an instant. No, Teppin continued, slowly rising from her chair. We will intercept them outside the city. Hi, mother, Leighton said surprised, the shock overcoming his usually meek demeanor. They could go anywhere once they leave the city. There's a good chance we could lose them. Teppin smiled, the same smile that condemned many of her rivals to their deaths. The same smile that made Leighton's blood run cold. Dear Leighton, Teppin began to say in a motherly tone, as if speaking to a particularly stupid child, as incompetent and corrupt as the church has been. It hasn't been completely useless. It has had centuries to gather knowledge about the actions of our deities. The boys may be stumbling in the dark for answers, but we long ago learned of God's ultimate plans. I will leave for the beyond immediately, to where the boys will eventually head. You? Leighton asked, his eyes widening. Indeed, Teppin answered. Like previous members of the church, I lazily allowed others to handle my problems. It's time I took a more active role in the church's affairs. With that, Teppin walked out of the room, followed closely by Leighton. She moved to the back of the church and opened the door to the courtyard. As soon as she did, they were greeted by the sound of combat. Over a dozen soldiers in the colors of the church were conducting combat trainings, their glavian armor coated in dirt and blood as they went over battle drills with practice precision. Seeing the High Mother, a nearby commander called for attention. 
In short order, men and women form two lines that face Tepin. Their right fists on the left side of their breastplates in salute. For too long, Tepin said coldly, her eyes looking over the stone-faced soldiers honoring her. The church has used thugs and other criminals to enforce its will. Fine enough for a city, but not for our country. What you see is the beginning of a new path for the church. A holy army to enforce order and spread our light into the dark corners. When those boys finally come to me, Tepin almost proved, turning her gaze towards Leighton. I and my army of the faithful shall ensure they perform their final duty to the church. I will admit, out of all of them, I like her the most. She is capable of doing great things. If only she could admit to herself the type of person she really is. The worst lies are the ones we tell ourselves, after all. Fellow Watchers, I hope you enjoy this minor look away from the main attraction. Now come, as I lead you back to the Travelers and their story. Will they succeed in their goals? Will they die with lives unfulfilled? That is up to them and the challenges they will face in the Ninth World. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this Numenera episode, where we got some insights into some of the enemies the crew are going to face later on down the line. Tune in next week for the return of the Travelers. If you really liked it, consider heading to my YouTube channel where I write a short story like this every week. But also, if you liked Fanable, or anything Fanable related, consider giving to our Patreon. With the extra money, we pay for things like web hosting, Games are trying to podcast and other stories from other times. If you don't have the cash or an iron climb, which is fine because they're talking about forums, giving us good reviews and services like iTunes or whatever you want to do to get the fanable word out there. We would love to get more fans like you. Thanks for listening and see you next time.